you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This should be a very familiar passage for you. Certainly a wonderful passage. We're going to look at uh, the 14th verse in detail, but we need to get it in context. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 constitute what is generally referred to as the prologue. It's the introduction to what follows. And in it are the... uh, Seeds of what's going to sprout throughout the gospel. John's telling us basically what he's going to tell us. So we begin reading at the first verse, John, the gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opening section of John's Gospel. We ask you to bless us now as we consider what you have declared concerning yourself, concerning your Son, and the way of life found in him, Lord, the life that is found in him. So bless us, we pray. Open our hearts and minds to your word, and open your word to our understanding and our hearts and minds. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a beautiful passage of God's word, and in the 14th verse, when John speaks of beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That lets us know that this one he's speaking of in the first verse, who was with God and who is God, became incarnate. As it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. 
and was seen of angels and preached among the Gentiles and received up into glory. Uh, the mystery of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And as we read the Bible, we find that when Jesus said in Matthew 28, uh, at the end 19, when he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, to baptize in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, in 1 John 5, 7, it's a controverted verse because uh, people that reject the deity of Christ don't like it. But 1 John 5, 7 is the clearest declaration, the explicit declaration of the doctrine of the Trinity. Because it says there, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's why if you use a Bible based on the TR, sometimes people will say, well, the doctrine of the Trinity is only implicitly taught. By the way, implicit doctrines mean it's just not stated directly, but they're still true. Nothing wrong with that. But if you have 1 John 5, 7 in your Bible, and if you're using most modern versions, you don't, okay? Uh, the New King James and the King James and the Geneva Bible and a few other modern ones are based on the Textus Receptus. They have that verse there. A lot of modern you know, editors are, oh my, we've got to get that out of there. And I'm like, why would you not want that in your Bible, okay? Um, and there's a whole, you know, study of that. And people say, oh, well, it doesn't belong. John didn't write it. Uh, it doesn't fit in the context. Like, really? Because he says right after that, if we receive the witness of God, or the testimony of God, the testimony, uh, or of men, the testimony of God is greater. He's talking about the witness of God, the, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. And these three are one. And there are three that bear record or witness in heaven. My point is, the Son is God equal with the Father. We're going to look at that in a moment. And so John, starting off, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A pretty strong declaration. Anyone who has had half a semester of Greek knows that the Jehovah's Witness perversion of that verse, where they translate, and the Word was a God, is completely a lie. It has nothing to do with Greek, uh, the Greek text. They have a whole falsification they've come up with because they reject the deity of Jesus. They say he's Michael the archangel uh, and that he became a man. It's like that's so contrary to scripture that no angel took on human nature. It says God himself was manifested in the flesh. And so uh, the Greek text is, is very clear. The English is translating it accurately when it says and the word was with God and the word was God. Um, that's what John wrote. And if, you're, if you want to, if you want a lesson in Greek grammar on this verse, just talk to me afterwards. I'll be glad to probably, hopefully not bore you, but uh, explain it to you pretty simply. Uh, but it's, it's beyond what we want to do today. We're just going to stick with our English Bibles. And the Bible says, and the word was God. But then he says in verse 14, and the word, as this word that is God, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. He took to himself a true human nature. He became a man. The Christmas story is all about that. In a few weeks, we'll begin to celebrate Advent. And in, it's, you know we switch over to the Nicene Creed that during Advent, from Advent to Easter, we uh, use that instead of the Apostles' Creed in our public worship. And the declaration of who Jesus is in the Nicene Creed is pretty clear. Um, as the uh, men in the church looked at it, they 
said this. They said, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. It means he was brought forth from the Father through all eternity, and that's what it says in the Bible. He's the only begotten Son of God. Again, a lot of modern translations like to say he's God's only Son, and which is totally inaccurate. Mana means, or monos means only. John wrote monogenes. Genes means begotten. And that's what's used in the, in the Bible. The only begotten. Monogenes huios tu theu. If you want to know the, the Greek there, if you understand that. Um, he's the only begotten son of God. Again, so many modern translations try to say, and it's not true. We're, we're sons of God by adoption. God has many sons. But he has only one who is the only begotten son. That is the one that is born of his nature through all eternity. It's the eternal generation of the son. And that's what is confessed in the Nicene Creed. That he is true God of true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance uh, or essence with the father. That is, as the father is God, so is the son. Uh, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, etc. Then it goes on and talks about his crucifixion and his sufferings and his resurrection. Well, that's all well and fine. That's a confession. It's not scripture. And someone could say, well, I don't have to believe that. It's like, no, you, you don't actually. But you do have to believe what the Bible says if you're going to call yourself a Christian. So let's see what God's word says, okay? John 1 says, God, he is God. John 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says we spent time with him. We, and if you follow the gospel account, it was about three and a half years. They were with the Lord Jesus from the beginning of his public ministry at the baptism of John up until the day they saw him ascend into heaven after he'd been risen bodily from the dead. Christ was slain. On the cross, he died, he was taken down, he was prepared for burial, he was put in uh, Joseph of Arimathea's brand new tomb. There he was, it was sealed by the Sanhedrin and the Romans and put a seal upon it on the third day. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. Jesus was there in the garden in John 20, the encounter with Mary, the first one to see Jesus risen from the dead. It's Mary Magdalene. And she thought they had taken the Lord's body away to uh, do more uh, dishonor to him and she was weeping and she remembered she thought he was the gardener and he said woman why I love the old King James why weepest thou and she told him because they've taken my Lord away and I, I know not where they laid him and she said if you'll tell me I'll, 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 I'll take his body you know she was like she didn't want to see her Lord dishonored anymore in death and then one word in the Greek I love it again Maria that's what it says he called her by her name and all of a sudden she knew who it was and she looked and it was Jesus risen from the dead. And so our Lord conquered death. And the gospel story, again, is wonderful. John, he was there at the crucifixion. He saw Jesus later uh, that day when Christ appeared to the apostles. Uh, then he, they went up into Galilee. He appeared to them there. They were with him. They were with him back in Jerusalem at the end of the 40-day period. He, he spent 40 days with them, a little more, about a, a month and and 10 days with the disciples after the resurrection. As he says, we ate and drank in his presence. And then on that day, which we celebrate as Ascension Day, which is 40 days after Easter, uh, 
in the church calendar, but that event happened 40 days after the actual resurrection. They saw him ascend into heaven and, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And if you remember the two men that stood by in white apparel, probably angels, and it uses the term men there, doesn't necessarily mean human beings, uh, but they appeared as men and they said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. He ascended in the clouds. He ascended bodily in his human nature. Uh, and that's the way he's coming again. So we're going to see Jesus again. He is coming again. And we praise God for that. But here we're saying that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God. It says it repeatedly. If you turn to John's gospel, we can look at chapter 8. Even his enemies understood what he was saying at some point. There's other, other passages, but we'll look at a couple in John. And there's a reason why we're looking at these. I'm going to tell you the reason in a few moments, okay? But in John chapter 8, where he's contending with the, it says Jews, it means Judeans. It's not all the Jewish people because his disciples were Jewish also. But when it says the Jews, he's in Jerusalem, which was in Judah in that region. And the people that lived there were Judeans, and that's what the Greek says. So this is, you know, sometimes people say, well, the Bible is very anti-Semitic because it blames the Jews, et cetera, et cetera. It blames the Judeans largely for what they were doing. That was the people associated with the temple. There's no excuse for anti-Semitism in the Christian church because it's made up of Jews and Gentiles. So the Jews, though, the Judeans in verse 52, well, we'll go back and see what Jesus said. Uh, in verse 49, Jesus said, uh, I do not have a demon. That's what they accused him of. They couldn't figure out any way to answer the things Jesus had said. So they just resorted to slander. And, you know, the word slander is diabolos. So they, you know, that's what they were using. Uh, but he told him, he said, uh, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. He said, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Verse 51 of John 8. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead in the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They understood what he meant when he said that. You know your Bibles, when Moses said to God, what is your name? He said, I am that I am. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So they recognized what he was saying, and Jesus proved it. In John chapter 3, John adds an interesting thing in John chapter 3. 
again, in a lot of the modern versions, this verse is taken out. That's why I don't use most of them. There's a few good ones out there. Uh, but in John 3.13, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says to him in, in verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, he who is the Son of Man. And then Jesus said, Who is in heaven? Jesus refers to himself as to his human nature there, but it's the same person in his divine nature and human nature. So he says, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. The thing that's interesting about that is Jesus is sitting in a room talking to Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus <clears throat> that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, as to his person and divine nature, was in heaven at the same time that he was sitting there talking to him. That can't be true of anybody except the Son of God, who is both God and man. So in John chapter 20, remember old Doubting Thomas, you probably are familiar with these verses, but maybe you haven't heard them in a while. So John tells us that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to the disciples that first resurrection evening in the upper room. They had the door closed. It says for fear of, we'll just use the term, for fear of the Judeans. And Jesus appeared. And they saw him, and he spoke to them. And then when Thomas showed up later, uh, at verse 24, we're told, Now Thomas called the twin, Didymus elsewhere, uh, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This is John 20, now 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's not being obstinate. He's brokenhearted. He's seen his Savior murdered. And now they're telling him he's risen from the dead. And he's this is too wonderful to believe, basically. But he's also being Thomas there, okay? He said, I've got to see it. Well, then we read on. And after eight days, again, first day of the week would be Sunday by our reckoning. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. <clears throat> Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. So there, all of a sudden, there's Jesus standing in their midst. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So Jesus said, That's what you wanted. Here I am, Thomas. Notice what Tom, Thomas says, his reaction. We shouldn't call him Doubting Thomas from this point on. We should call him Confessing Thomas because in verse 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses try to say, oh, he was just an expletive. He just blurted that out. Really? He blasphemed when he saw the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He took God's name in vain. He just blurted it out. Uh -uh. Look what it says carefully. Thomas answered and what? Said to him. Thomas is addressing Jesus when he utters these next words. Interesting thing, I talk about modern versions and textual variants and all that stuff. There's no textual variance there. Every manuscript that I'm aware of of the Gospel of John has that in it. And he said, to him, my Lord and my God. Now, if somebody says this to you, you would say, don't say that. That's blasphemous. Don't ever address a human being under that title if it's just a mere human being. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus commends him 
And he says, you've seen and you believe, but there's even a greater blessing for those who haven't seen and yet believe. That is, whose hearts have been affected by the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. But notice, Thomas calls Jesus my Lord and my God. And Jesus receives that. He says, you believe. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Believe what? Well, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And that he is Lord and that he is God. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Blessed are those. So those who reject the idea that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, or as 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God manifested in the flesh, uh, they miss out on not just that blessing, but on who the actual real Jesus really is. So in, we've looked at these texts in John's Gospel. In the uh, book of Isaiah, we look at a, a few other verses. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 43. This was written 800 years before Jesus came. You know the prophecies, but we're not going to look so much at the prophecies in Isaiah concerning the coming of the Messiah, but statements that God himself, Jehovah, Yahweh, has made concerning who he is and his nature. In Isaiah chapter 43, really beginning at verse 10, the Lord, Yahweh, by the way, in your English Bibles, when it has L-O-R-D, all capitalized in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is Y-H-W-H. That's the, the consonants for Yehovah or Yahweh, okay, or Yahweh. So when you see that, that uh, could also be translated Jehovah or Yahweh, all right? I think in uh, the John MacArthur translation, they just came out with recently, he's put Yahweh in all those places, so... Uh, I think that's called the Legacy Bible. Kind of an interesting thing. He's not the first to do that, but most recent. But here's what Yahweh says. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh, or the Lord, and my chosen, excuse me, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand. Now note, that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Kind of destroys the Jehovah's Witness understanding of John 1.1. 1, 1. Because they say, well, Jesus is a God, and he was, uh, you know, when he's a created angel. It's like, John chapter 1 says, all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that has been made. Go back and read it in John chapter 1, all right? That means that he made everything. Everything was made through him. That is, the Father created through the Son. Everything was made through him. And without him, that is, or apart from him, Choris is the Greek word, Choris Autu, apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. That means the word is not a creature because everything, everything, John says, was made through him. That excludes him from being a creature pretty clearly. If words have meaning, and they do. And this is what the Lord says, the triune God speaking in the Old Testament. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. What do we call Jesus? What does the Bible call him? Matthew one twenty one. you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their sins. All through the epistles, all through the gospels, Christ is referred to as Lord and Savior. Here the Lord speaks, besides me, there is no Savior. I have declared and, uh, and saved I have proclaimed, there was no foreign God among you, therefore you are my witnesses. He's speaking here to his elect people in Israel. Says the Lord, oh Yahweh, that I am God. 
Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? So that's one testimony. Turn over to the next chapter, chapter 44. Again, note what the Lord says. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, that is Yahweh, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. That's interesting because there's two thing, two persons there being spoken of. What does he say? I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Remember in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 8, Jesus said, I am the I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Here Yahweh speaks and says the same thing. You can't have two first and two last. Okay, uh, here the Lord speaks and He says, "I am the first and I am last." And note, and besides me, there is no God. So you can't translate John one one and say, "And the Word was with God, and the Word was a God," because He says there is no God with me. <coughs> Big G or little G. And who can proclaim as I do? And, and let uh, then let him declare it and set it in order. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Then he says in verse 8, do not fear nor be afraid. Good counsel there from the Lord himself. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. By the way, who's called the rock in the New Testament? It's not Peter, it's Jesus. Okay, Paul talks about that rock that followed them was Christ. But here the Lord Yahweh speaks and says, Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. If you have your Bibles again, stay in Isaiah. Turn with me to the 46th chapter. In 46 verse 9, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. And he goes in and speaks of his, his mighty works. Again, in chapter 48, we have this statement from him uh, in verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my call. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Note that I am the first, I am the last. And who's speaking? The Lord is speaking there. Okay, so we see this. And, and again, I mentioned Revelation chapter 1. Let's go ahead and turn there. I realize we're doing a little bit of Bible study here today. And you can check these things out and make sure later, did he get it all in context? Uh, I invite you to... Search out and see whether or not these things are so. Be a Berean. But in Revelation chapter 1, John's vision of Christ. He greets the churches, the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And some said, wait a minute, I thought the Holy Spirit was only one. The Holy Spirit is one in essence, but in regard to the churches that he's writing to, the Holy Spirit is operationally seven in those churches. Each one of the letters to the seven churches in chapter two and three, we're told, he that has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Okay, so this is an inter introducing some kind of strange theology there. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's being viewed as individually working in those seven churches. 
as the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. John says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. Note that, this is who you are. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And then he hears this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, the Asia Minor, you know, modern-day Turkey or Anatolia. Um, the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lamps. And this is John's vision. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So he sees him basically in priestly garments is what he's seeing here. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, this is symbolic, obviously, of the word of God, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. So when John, he was overcome, he just, he's like Daniel when he saw the Lord's glory. He said, I just fell at his feet as dead. And I love this. John found out the same Jesus that he had known and loved was the same one that it was now speaking to him in glory. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Who's speaking there? Well, Jesus Christ is speaking. Who else says that? Jehovah God, all through the Old Testament. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the Son of God. And we can say, God the Son. Do not be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives. Now, this is Jesus telling John. He's telling him so he won't be afraid. We need to hear it so we're not afraid. He says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades or hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lamps. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the messengers, angelos. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Then it goes on. Who did John see? Who is this one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last? It's Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is God. Turn to 
the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. The writer to the Hebrews says, God, who at various times and in various ways, this is, by the way, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, or ages, literally. That word, the Greek word there for worlds is uh, ionios, which means ages. It has to do with time. Jesus created sequential existence so that creatures like you and I could live, or like you and me, I think you're supposed to say, could live, okay? We live in time. We're not like God. God dwells in eternity. Actually, God is eternal. He doesn't dwell in something. He is eternal. But he made time for us, through whom he made the worlds, who being the, this is the description, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the exact image of who the Father is or who God is, and upholding all things by the word of his power. The reason why the creation stays together is because of Jesus, by his word of the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. That's why the doctrine of purgatory is a lie. Christ purged our sins in his death. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high as the Messiah, as God incarnate, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's from Psalm 2. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he brings, when he brings again the firstborn into the world, he says... Let all the angels of God worship him. Does God tell you ever to worship a creature? No, but what does he say to the angels in heaven? Worship him, my son, worship him. We saw that with the shepherds when the angels appeared. What were they doing? The angel, angels were praising God. They were worshiping Jesus. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Because angels have an important role, but the son is not just, he's not an angel. But to the Son, he says, this is what the Father says to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Wait a minute. This one, he is God and he's with God? Yeah, John 1.1, 1, 1, the doctrine of the Trinity. And again, you, Lord, that's in capitals, because if you go back and read from Psalm 102, you'll find the overall context is it's absolutely the whole psalm is addressed to Jehovah. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation. Of, this is what the Father is saying to the Son. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same. That's that immutability of God. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's from Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. So we see here when John says, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. and He saw his glory. Now, the interesting thing about it, I wanted to show you this, because the glory that John saw was the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul makes reference to. Uh, 
in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know the glory of God? You look at Jesus. Get to know him. He's revealed in the word. All right. Glory, you know, I was thinking, what, what is it about glory? Well, glory, another word for it, if you look it up, it can actually have the idea of beauty. The beauty of the Lord. And if we, we look at this, what we're really in, what John's talking about is the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. David said in Psalm 27, For one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Not just the beautiful things, but the beauty of the Lord himself. And to inquire in his temple. <clears throat> Psalm 90, 17 says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. You see, if you love something, it's because you think it's beautiful. All right. And generally, sometimes it's intrinsic beauty. Okay. Some of us, you know, like I was telling somebody the other day, yeah, somebody told me that I, I definitely have a face for radio. Okay. Um, you know, so sometimes the beauty is not an outward beauty, you know, um, you know, sometimes that we'll use the statement, um, you know, kid has a face only a mother could love. Yeah. You know why? Because the mom, she loves her child. Okay. And a lot of those Little ugly kids sometimes grow out to be pretty good-looking guys, okay? Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, some of us weren't exactly, uh, you know, all that good-looking early on. But the point is, is that when you love something, you see the beauty in it. When you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's because, you know, if you're having trouble loving them, it's, start looking for the beauty that's in them. Look for the work of God in them. Husbands, you want to love your wife? Look for the beauty that's in her, okay? And wives, you want to love your husbands? Make an effort. It's there. Look for the beauty that's in them. Look for the Lord's work in them. And if you if you love people because of God's work, then it's going to be a love that endures. And it's from the Holy Spirit. But when we look at the Lord, we love the Lord because he's beautiful. And some say, well, you know, it says in Isaiah 53, he has no form or comeliness and when we should see him, we should desire of him. That's talking about the failure of the people of his generation to actually see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus probably was an average-looking, as to his humanity, an average-looking Judean. He was from Galilee later, but he was of the tribe of Judah. But the point is, Jesus, he wasn't necessarily ugly or handsome. He was who he was. But the beauty of the Lord is what John's talking about. We saw his glory. And so when we're told to finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things, he says, and the, and the God of peace will be with you. We're to think on those. So where's this start? It starts on thinking about Jesus, learning about him. So I want to encourage you today to really look at the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you. You know, we talk about, well, how do we encourage, you know, husbands, start noticing your, the beauty in your family, in your, in your wives. Wives, note the beauty in your children, in, in your husband. Brothers and sisters, note the beauty of the Lord in your fellow Christians in church. Makes it a whole lot easier. But the real beauty that you're seeing is the beauty of the Lord. And that's what we want to focus on. How great is his goodness, it says in Zechariah 7, uh, 9, 17. For how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids, but the beauty of the Lord is what really changes our hearts and brings us joy. So my hope is that we can be able to say with John, we beheld his glory. John actually spent time with Jesus 
during his incarnation and his ministry when he was here on earth. He's still incarnate, but he's not on this earth presently. We're going to see him and be with him, and we will behold his glory. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, I will that those whom you've given me be with me where I am, that they might behold my glory that you have given me. He said, because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. So may God give us grace to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray you bless us now and give us grace, Lord. Open our eyes to see your love and your goodness and your grace. Help us to see who you really are in your person and in your work, in all aspects of, of your being, of your divine nature, of your human nature, and of your eternal person. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the first and the last, and that you are one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that you are our Savior and our God. Father, we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.